Hello everybody and welcome back to Bigger on the Inside, the podcast about Doctor Who and things which are not Doctor Who. Oh, thank you Tim. But this Thanks week, Tim. This week Harry is all Doctor Who. I'll tell you what, I'll tell oh, is what it all do. Doctor Who? It is all Doctor Who, but I'll tell you what we could do is I do another podcast called Flaming Movies, which you were meant to co-host with me this week, but due to various reasons I dropped you. And we didn't get a chance to talk about the Batgirl movie, so perhaps after we've done some Doctor Who stuff we can talk about the Batgirl movie. Absolutely, because I don't know what's going on there, but it's been all over my Twitter feed, and I know that you, Tim, of all my friends, will understand what's going on the most. Okay. But shall we start with Doctor Who stuff? Let's start, but before we go any further, now, look, before we go any further um, I'm rec- we're both recording slightly differently this week, so again we're on clean feed, a new piece of software we're not totally used to. I'm back home, I have no soundproofing set up yet, and Harry, there's a slight bit of noise from Harry, which I'm going to try and reduce um, in editing. So apologies if this isn't as polished. Uh, it's, it's always this show's always been a turd, but this week it might not be as polished as it has been in previous weeks. Right. Okay. So um, on that note, uh, I think we should acknowledge that this is um, our first recording of a bigger on the inside instalment since the uh, unfortunate passing of Bernard Cribbins, the actor um, who Doctor Who fans will best know as playing Wilf in the Revival series uh, by Ross T. Davis. Um, I mean, I, we, I don't really know if there's much we can say we, that we haven't already said when we did our watch-along watch of the Russell T. Davis era. Pretty much every episode involving Wilf involved both of us just singing to high heaven how much we loved um, the character of Wilf and especially Bernard Cribbins' portrayal of him. Um yeah. So there's not really much new we can say, like, he was a great actor, it's a shame he's gone so soon, it's nice that we'll see him in some capacity in the 60th. Yeah, I mean, I mean, one thing that I sort of, I, I tweeted about once Bernard passed away is, is David's last episode, where we spoke about it when we reviewed it, that the fact that the Tenth Doctor at one point is torn between his mother and his new father figure of Wilf, um, and I feel like I, I even listened to um, what's it called Simon Mayo and Mark Komodo's new podcast Komodo Mayo's take I think it's called and they spoke about Bernard and Mark doesn't really talk about Doctor Who very often I'd like to know his thoughts on it but when he spoke about Bernard he spoke about how brilliant he was in Doctor Who and for someone who's had such a long career the Railway Children, the Wombles um, uh, the CBB stuff, Jack and Ori Jack and Ori, yeah. yeah. A lot of people, no matter who you are, what age, seem to know him best at such a late point in his career as well as Will from Doctor Who. Mm, absolutely. I think I, mean, I think it's a testament to like, you know, the impact he had at that time and also um just what a phenomenal character Will was. I mean, I think he is one of, if not arguably, the most beloved character in Doctor Who that Russell T. Davis created. Yeah. Um, and that's amplified tenfold by um, Bernard's performance. Like, you know, like just the image of him saluting in that final episode, holding back tears. I mean, that. I know it's kind of like a gif meme now, but that kind of speaks to like just the um, how emotionally charged that moment was and how much Bernard put into that role. And I think it's kind of weirdly nice in a way to think that through even just that image, I think that Bernard Cribbins has been kind of immortalised in a way. Yeah, no, I agree. That, that's sort of representative of quite a big era of the show. Um, he was always my favourite. He generally was. I'm not just saying that. When I watched it as a kid, I always really liked Bernard Cribbins in that show and I thought he was fantastic and I was really upset when uh, I woke up and my friend Ben had texted me, he said just saying how upset he was, he didn't tell me why I, obviously the next notification on my phone was the fact that uh, he had passed away, but you know, good innings he lived, uh, good innings? good innings, you know, he uh, lasted ah. a long time maybe he was, was he 93? yeah in his 90s hmm yeah. And, I mean, the fact that he was still acting, you know, until the end, like, we saw him on set in a wheelchair. We don't know whether or not he needed that or whether that was for the character, but the fact he was on the set, that he was in the 60th, and I presume he will be. I mean, obviously, we don't know whether or not 
he finished filming everything he needed to film. Yeah. In a way, I kind of hope that we don't find out whether or not he had stuff that was meant to be shot but wasn't, so we can just kind of appreciate what we do get. Yeah, because exactly. the fact we're getting more of that character and more of Burns' performance at all for me is an absolute treat that I wasn't even expecting when we went yeah. into the 60th. Yeah, I remember that the day they those photos leaked online, and that when me and Harrison did a little video to say how excited we were that the filming had started and we were getting a couple of looks, and then we both said how actually what was really still in the limelight was the return of Wilf. Mm, absolutely. Yeah. Honestly, I'm surprised that there's not actually been from the any of the creative team that I can think of, except for I think Rachel Towley, the director, any real acknowledgement of um, Burns' involvement in the 60th. Like, Russell wrote a really, really long, wonderful post on uh, Instagram, mm. um, which if you've, not, if you've not read, you absolutely should, because it's such a wonderful testament to not just what a great actor, but what a, clearly a wonderful man uh, Bernard Cribbins was. But he doesn't make a single mention of him being in the 60th. Maybe he feels like it's not appropriate to mention that, that it would kind yeah, of almost feel like publicity off the back of it. Mm. Yeah. Should we move on to some um, lighter, happier news, Harry? Now we've got the, the sad stuff out of the way. Yeah. Well, bittersweet, you know? Yeah. It's sad he's gone, but he brought so much joy to us in his life, yeah. But yeah, we'll move on to uh, Matt Smith, who... Um, I don't know if this is his first time speaking about Doctor Who since the return of Russell and the announcing of Shooty's casting. But he... I think he's spoken about Shooty. Yes, um, he's been very glowing about the casting of Shooty Gatwa as the 14th Doctor, saying, I think it's the most sensational bit of casting. What an actor. He's brilliant in sex education. I think he's got something other that the part really needs. Oh, was that it? Yeah, and there's there's also a bit about him talking about uh, David Tennant's return as oh, well, yeah, where he that. says, yeah, where he says, what a doctor, what an actor, what a bloke. Arguably, David is a totally seminal doctor. Um, he continues to talk about working with David and passing the baton on to Smith, saying, yeah, can you imagine? Because he was as popular as it gets, really. But he was so kind to me, David, in transition. He's just a good bloke. Oh, that's good to know. <laughs> it's one of I mean, I feel like we've heard it from... I, I remember mm. when, you know, I hate to bring it all back to this, but when allegations came out about Barrowman and Null and stuff like that, and I think as Doctor Who fans, there was a little bit of, ah, oh, shit, what's going what's gonna to be the next thing? And I remember reading several of the reports that just said, but David Tennant was really nice and he's a top bloke and was very supportive of everybody and was kind to everybody on set. Um, and, you know, as somebody who has met David Tennant, he's, I can I can vouch for Matt Smith. He's a very nice person. Yeah, pretty much every article or statement or quote or anything you hear about David Tennant, especially about his time on Doctor Who, the only things you hear from people who've worked with him are just his dedication, his professionalism, how gracious and kind he was. I think, you know, I mean, that's what you need from a lead actor in a show like that. You need someone who is, you know, a great kind of um, figurehead and a positive presence and who can kind of lead the charge in that way. Like, I know, I know it's a slightly different... Well, it's not really a different thing because um, they were turns actually played Hamlet. But I remember a director once telling me that whenever they've known someone to be cast as um, Hamlet, um, he's always known for that young actor to just take it full reins, lead full force, and that that's what's necessary because as a lead actor in what's usually a production with a very large cast and very large crew, you need the person leading that to go at it with full confidence and positivity because everyone else is going to follow in that person's lead. And so for David to kind of set that positive precedent, it was really important for the show. And I feel like it probably played a significant part in the show's success during his tenure, that he did take such, you know, a, a good handle on leading Doctor Who when he did. Oh, definitely, yeah. Because you think about all the press that those people have to do as well. It must be uh, no mean feat to constantly keep up an act, but it's nice to know it's not certainly an act. He's actually a nice person. 
I mean, the amount of interviews he had to do for, like, Confidential alone, I feel like he can't keep up an act with something like that. And you see, um, like, the only scene that comes to mind is him discussing his final regeneration scene with the director. You can see how invested he is in the work. Yeah, you are right, yeah. Mm. Harry, do we have anything uh, about moving on Smith to... being involved in the 60th anniversary special? Um, there is one little thing, yeah. Where he said, on the topic of him returning, maybe, if it was the right script. I mean, I don't know if I've got too old now, it would have to be really right. Now, the funniest thing here is Matt Smith saying um, I'm, if he, that he might be too old. Matt Smith, I don't think he knows how to age. Also, the fact that his doctor at one point lives out a very long life until he almost dies of old age. In Matt Smith's final episode, so, he's in old man makeup, so you could really have him at any point. <laughs> yeah, at any point in time, just say he was taken off that planet, and yeah, Matt Smith is literally the one incarnation of the Doctor who could play the Doctor at any point in his life, and it would make sense, and he wouldn't need any kind of time displacement thing like they had to do with Peter Davison. Yeah, and Tennant as well, slightly with the uh, human version of his character, but... Or, 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 just, or just bring him back for whatever reason he wants. <laughs> yeah. yeah, like Russell's doing. Like you'd, not being funny, I don't think when if David Tennant's returning to the show, anyone wants to see the human version of David Tennant. I think they want to see the Tenth Doctor. Yeah. No, you're right. Yeah. I did hear from somebody who was like on Twitter. They were like, "I want the hybrid version." I'm like, "No, you don't. You don't want that." I don't want it. I'd be really disappointed if he came in with his wife Rose and his two children. It would just feel a bit <laughs> can, weird. Can you imagine? Right? And wrong. You're watching the 60th, and it's Capaldi, Whitaker, Smith, Eccleston, and they're struggling. And they're, they're like, "There's one man who can help us." And you see them smashing through the time vortex. They're going hammer. You know, Eccleston's aids whacking the TARDIS, and then it lands on Bad Wolf Bay, and you're like. Oh my god, what's gonna happen? And they get they you know, they go to a little cottage and they open the door and it's just a sea of crying babies and the tenth doctor's got babies sick on him and Rose is screaming and shouting at him for not doing the pots <laughs> it's just like a really normal life and it's like this is what the tenth doctor does now and they just shut the door and leave him there. <laughs> They're just like, No, no, he's not cut out for it. Yeah. <laughs> The Sue Drew driver is just on a sh- on a shelf in the workshop in the garage. He's using it to stare his cup of coffee. <laughs> He's using the screws. That's funny. And, and the That's funny. Is like propping up a table that's got a wonky leg or something like that. Like Rose is like the kettle's broken and he just points the screwdriver at it and it like bursts into sparks. <laughs> so you can't use a screwdriver to fix everything. <laughs> I don't know why um, Rose sounds like a Terry Jones pepper pot, but she does in this world. And Jackie lives in a little annex out the back. Like a little, little house. Now, moving on to um, people previously moved, involved in Doctor Who who are uh, not returning. Mark Gatiss has revealed that uh, he hasn't been asked to return to Doctor Who. Although he has said um, if he was, been asked, was asked... He can resist everything but temptation if given the opportunity. So, as of now, Mark Gatiss isn't returning to Doctor Who. I remember Gatiss talking about when Chibnall took over and Chibnall said to him, even though you're not in this first run of writers for me, I still want you to write for me. And obviously that's never... And then he never did. Never did. But um, I feel like it was strange that he never got the show running (laughs) after Moffat. Bless you. That he never got the show running. Thank you. Um, Also, people saw him as the obvious choice. And I get it, you know. He wrote under Russell. He wrote under uh, Moffat. Sorry, I'm going to sneeze again. (coughs) Thanks. Maybe one more time? Uh, No. Yeah, I didn't quite catch that one. Yeah, do we need another one? Just just a third take. Just so we can, like, really book it. Just for safety. Um... I don't know, it's it's very difficult, I think, for me. Whilst, you know, he did write good Doctor Who episodes, some of which are my favourites, um, Unquiet Dead being a highlight, it's hard for me to envisage what a Mark Gatiss 
run era of the show would look like. Very gothic. I um, I think so. Based on like the ghost stories and stuff that he writes around Christmas time for BBC, maybe yeah. But I don't know it. I can't imagine it with as much vividness as I can for writers such as Moffat. But that being said, when Moffat was originally a, a, announced as the showrunner, I think a lot of people imagined a version of Doctor Who very different to what Moffat actually gave us. Yeah. Yeah, like I remember when Matt Smith was first announced as the other Doctor, and like they revealed promo images of him wearing like that black jacket in like a quite a dark looking street. Those are people were thinking, oh, they're going to go down a more kind of gothic, edgy, scary era. Because obviously, Moffat, Empty Child, The Weeping Angels, he was known for creating really scary ideas and monsters in yeah. slightly ooh, creepy settings. But then, his version of Doctor Who was very fantastical and fairy tale like I'm trying to find a funny article that I saw, New Doctor, um, where it was them basically going over the press photos of the time of Matt Smith and sort of trying to guess what type of doctor he would be and I can't, can't seem to find it if I find is it from like 2009? yeah it's from 2009 see if I can find it yeah, anyway go for it in the news and if I find it I'll um, um stop it. well we only have one more bit of a Doctor Who news which is um from Twitter, I think uh, it's Doctor Who PN is their handle. They tweeted out, it looks like a screen cap from someone, somewhere, not sure where, who worked as an assistant unit manager on the 60th of Doctor Who. Um, listing this um, about it. Production title, Doctor Who. Company, Bad Wolf. Line manager, Ewan Roberts. I think it's Ewan. I-W-A-N. Description. Uh, well, what? It's not pronounced Euros. Uh, so. It's it's Welsh. It's like Euros, Euros, I think. Oh, Euros. Okay, thank you, Euros Roberts. Description: Working with Dan Wellstead, um, Euros Roberts, and the rest of the locations team on the three episodes was a blast. A tough six weeks of night shoots on location that went indescribably successfully. I think they meant indescribably, but anyway, I think the key thing that those people are honing on here are two numbers. Um, six weeks of night shoots and three specials. Yeah. So um, this is pretty much confirmation of what a lot of people were thinking, which was that the 60th anniversary celebrations is not one special, but three. Yeah, I think that's about right. And apparently um, New Year's 2023, or perhaps Christmas 2022, New Year's... So it's, sorry, let me start again. There are going to be three specials. The first one will either air Christmas of this year, 2022, or New Year of 2023. A second one around summertime, and then the final will be the 60th in November. Now, I know that... I think I spoke about this with you in the car about a week or so ago. Um, I'm going to say it again here, obviously... I'm kind of conflicted on them stretching these specials out throughout the year. Because, I don't know if it's just because of the specials being released um, this year, and how they're not really getting a ton of traction or attention. Um, but I feel like if you're going to spread specials throughout the year, you need more than three to, re to retain viewer interest. Um... Otherwise, I feel like it would have been better if they released it as a weekly miniseries to kind of keep an audience maintained and keep it growing. Here, I just worry that there'll be a bit of interest for the initial special, then it'll die out, and there won't be that much interest left over for the following specials. I don't know. I mean, I could be wrong. Or possibly, and this is what I'm hoping for, is that all three specials will contain enough really juicy stuff, cool content, new information, reveals, whatever, that will keep people talking until the next special six months down the line, or however long it is. That's what I'm hoping for. And, you know, knowing Russell, that's very possible. Um, I'm just not sure, because obviously 
Tennant's first year specials, that was five specials over a year. And three is significantly less than five over the span of a year. So I'm just interested to see what their plan is, just in terms of, like, releasing information, maintaining just yeah. a mainstream audience interest throughout the year for Doctor Who well, that will that make perhaps people each episode, interested. Each episode might be a different uh, multi-Doctor episode, um, you know, stuff like that. But we've only seen David Tennant so far. Yeah, I mean, they might all be Tennant-led, but then he meets various other incarnations along the way. I don't know. But it sounds like they've wrapped largely on the production of it, from the well, sounds of it he, here. Tennant had um, to recently cancel a convention because he was filming the 60th. He didn't say it, but you can see from the video that he has his 10th Doctor hair already, and he says he's doing the production, and it's overrunning or something like that, I think he said. So, the 60th anniversary specials are still in production? Yeah, I would be very, very surprised if they weren't. I'm, I'll, I will try and find you that video and send you a screenshot of him in it um, whilst we talk. But yeah, as far as I'm aware, they're still, they're still on the way. Okay. Right. I'm just very interested. I don't know. I mean, it's not what I was expecting. I would have, I think, preferred one big special, but maybe seeing as the centenary this year is going to be a uh, feature-length special, it would be a bit draining to have two back-to-back year after year, so maybe this will work. I think we'll just have to see. I mean, honestly, knowing Russell, it probably is going to work, and I'm just worrying over absolutely nothing. We'll just have to see. <laughs> um, Do we know anything about the centenary at this point <laughs> beyond we, what we... There's been nothing. There's been absolutely nothing about it. I know, apparently, I was reading... Uh, a few things like Sci-Fi Magazine are, are, are slightly frustrated because they were hoping to be able to advertise the centenary in their magazine this month. Because um, mm. this would be the September issue coming up that they will currently be in production of. Um, and that's the last issue they're releasing before the centenary. Yeah, so they're not going to be able to advertise it in their magazines, which then means they don't sell magazines, but it also means not many people then know about the show. That said, Legends uh, Legends of Sea Devils, they didn't start advertising that until three weeks before that episode came out. So, by their own and rules, I feel like they... they're not breaking them, but as general public, and even fans, I forget about the centenary from time to time, um, they should really be up in that game. And also, I, I don't feel like they should be following Legend of the Sea Devils rules, considering that with only advertising... Yeah, it's one of the lowest... has some of the lowest ratings in terms of viewership, I think, of any Doctor Who episode ever, doesn't it? I think it was the lowest New Who episode. I've also just sent you a picture of David Tennant. Where's that? It's on Facebook. Okay, let me get that up now, because I don't have a Facebook tab open. But yeah, I mean, I'm not saying that the rating scheme is the most important thing, but I mean, in terms of advertising, it kind of is. So, I mean, if I was them, I would be doing a lot more than they are doing right now. This should be like, I mean, I don't know, maybe it's just because I am a fan of Doctor Who, but to me, the Doctor Who special of the centenary should kind of be the flagship centenary thing that they're airing during the centenary. Then again, or, or at least it should any, be one of them. I haven't seen anything to do with the centenary being advertised. No. I mean, to be fair, I've not seen any centenary celebration stuff at all. I mean, have you? Nothing at all. I don't know. Maybe the BBC are just waiting until a particular point to then just go hard on all that centenary celebration stuff. Also, I have just seen the image you sent me, and yeah, that's 10th Doctor hair. Yeah, it is, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it is. Like, quite objectively, 10th Doctor hair. Like, David does not have that hair for anything else. So, um, that pretty much wraps up all of our Doctor Who news. So, Tim, can you please explain to me, as well as you can, what the heck is going on with Warner Brothers and Batgirl and its cancellation and what it's got to do with 
Discovery owning them, and also some kind of Scoob holiday special being cancelled. Okay, yeah. So what are Warner Brothers doing? So let's start at the start. There is a Batgirl movie on the way, and it was going to be a HBO Max exclusive, so it would not have released in theaters, but it was going to release in cinemas in the UK and outside of places that didn't have HBO Max. Um, so we would have gotten, for all intents and purposes, a Batgirl movie for the cinema. Um, the name of the actor who plays Batgirl escapes me, but it would have also starred J.K. Simmons as Commissioner Gordon, Brendan Fraser, and Michael Keaton returning as Batman, um, as he is also doing in the Flash movie, and I'll get to that in a second. Um, now, Warner Brothers apparently scrapped the movie, which production of was finished, but it was being edited. I believe it was in post-production, so pre and production were done. It was in post-production, which is the editing stage. Um, I believe it was about halfway through. From what I've heard from the directors, the movie wasn't finished, but the footage had all been captured. I'm not sure about reshoots or anything like that. Um, I think it cost $90 million. That can't be right. To make... Whatever it was, it cost about 20 to 30 million more than Warner Brothers had originally set aside for it. Um, and then the movie came back, and apparently the reason... I, the, the Scoob stuff froze me, but the reason that apparently they cancelled Batgirl is because it was not a cinematic and did not line up with what they had going forward for the DC expanded universe... Um, and they also said that they tested it with audiences and the test screening results were not in favour of the movie. Okay, so now you're all caught up with that. Here's a few reasons why none of that makes sense. Um, okay, yeah, I have a lot of questions. <laughs> yeah. Batgirl, had been in production for, Batgirl had been in production for a while and the return of Michael Keaton was not going to be his first appearance. It w he would have first appeared in The Flash and then been brought into the DCEU as its new Batman, considering that Ben Affleck is stepping out of the role after The Flash. Um, so you have that as a very strange why they're cancelling the movie when they already have some storyline set up. Um, you mentioned they also cancelled Scoob 2, a sequel to Scoob, um, I don't know why they cancelled that because obviously that has nothing to do with the DCEU perhaps they also cancelled that for audience ratings but here's the interesting thing Black Adam, a new DC movie which is coming out later this month Stars The Rock has had the same test screening results as Batgirl now they don't just cancel movies for test screening results The Rock himself will be a big enough name to draw people in to see that movie on its own despite having bad test results um, so yeah, there's a lot of stuff up in the air, and I think I saw a quote where it was like a guy who'd been in the industry for a rival studio, he's like, I've been in this industry for 30 years, and this is the craziest fucking shit I've ever seen. And it is. I've, I don't think there is ever an instance of a movie being filmed and shot and edited and never being released for a good reason. Um, I don't think we won't see this movie, I think we will see it in some capacity at some point. Um, but I've personally, for me, when it got cancelled, there was two sets of there was about three sets of emotions. One of them was, maybe it's good if it's going to be crap, don't release it. Second one was, that's not how that should work because you've got movies like The Flash, which are fronted by Ezra Miller, who only yesterday got arrested again, and that movie is still coming out. Remind me about that. I need to get back to that. And then the third one is, a lot of people work on these movies. I worked on a Netflix show for two weeks, and to think if that project's never saw the light of day, only as a location marshal, I'd be so disappointed that even though you weren't involved in the actual filming, you were involved in the production, that it was kind of a waste of time. So, there's a lot of people who, people focus on the directors and the stars but when you look at the editors and the drivers and the location marshals and the runners the caterers, the cleaners, the security all these people who give up their time obviously get paid but they they could have turned down a lot of a lot of other work once that has been set aside 
it was filmed in Scotland, so a lot of businesses closed down for a short period of time so that they could shoot Batgirl on those streets. Those people have now lost money for no reason because that movie's never going to see the light of day. Um, so the thing about the Flash movie, which I think is... Sorry if I'm boring anybody by talking about this, but I think that there has been some discussions backstage at Warner Brothers about the Flash movie and that is being reshot in elements and also re-edited to an extent and I think maybe the results of that movie which would have then affected Batgirl i.e. the introduction of Michael Keaton's Batman which I think we will still see I think there are elements of that movie which have now made Batgirl maybe redundant and that's all I have to say right <laughs> so Reading between what you, the lines of what you're saying, you reckon that the Flash movie has been heavily re-edited, not necessarily to recast Miller, but to shift the focus from Miller's Flash onto Michael Keaton's Batman and that plot, and potentially them shifting that focus means that the need for an extended introduction to his character in the Batgirl movie is no longer necessary. I, I don't and without know. that to garner ticket sales they're not sure if it's financially viable to maybe, release Batgirl. Maybe even just the plot maybe the plot is changing so that, because let's be honest out of a Flash movie or a Batgirl movie, which one's going to bring in the most money? A Flash movie so... Not a Flash movie helmed by Ezra Miller I feel like it still will because this is only going on HBO Max in America, so they're losing out on a lot of ticket sales there. Um, sorry, uh, one second, just let me try and remember what I was going to say. Sorry, no, I think w- my wild theory is that the bat uh, is that the Flash movie is in some way being edited to remove Ezra Miller at some point in the storyline, and by that I don't mean deep fake or recast. I mean, at some point in that movie, there might be a scene where the Flash is in crisis, and now they're re-editing it to maybe introduce a different actor to play the Flash from a different universe. Now, that could be Grant Gustin re- uh, reprising the role from the CW version of the show and bringing him over into the movies, or it could just be a total recast. Right. I mean just thinking about all this this is and can i ask i don't know if this is something you're as aware about do any of these um decisions being made have any kind of links to the fact that i think warner brothers is now owned by discovery yes yeah, so and them making executive changes I, yeah I, I feel there is a lot of weird stuff going on there and you go back to like that there was a, I think it was Variety on the Hollywood Reporter who recently did a thing about Zack Snyder's Snyder Cut and how people from Warner Brothers were basically intimidated by Snyder and how he said he was going to get used social media to bully certain people at Warner Brothers so he basically got what he wanted um, I think there's a guy there called Walter Hammond I think who's meant to be the Kevin Feige of DC and I feel there, there's just a lot of crap going on there and they're trying to write a shift which not only is going the wrong way, but it's in the wrong way so much it's snapped in half. Um, personally, I would just say I would do Shazam and I would do Black Adam, and then I would stop <laughs> for maybe two years, year and a half, and work out what the heck is going on, what movies you've got scheduled, how they link, what actors that fans enjoy, i.e. Henry Cavill and Gal Gadot, Jason Moa still wants to be involved how can you involve them do another Superman movie do you know what I mean just sort of really go back to the basics because they've got like a Blue Beetle TV movie on the way it's like who, the, who, the, who cares about that no one cares about a Blue Beetle movie Who? no one cares about a Plastic Man gender swapped movie do you know what I mean I feel like they have such good characters DC and then they have stuff like Joker 2, which is going to knock it out of the park in comparison to anything that they have going on. And it's just, uh, I think it's just an, an utter mess. And it's a real shame. As a I mean, I can't but think that, I mean, I can't but think that the, um, the most promising looking upcoming DC projects, probably being the 
the Batman sequels, Joker Fully Would Do, um, the J.J. Abrams reboot of Superman, all, none of which seem to be taking place within the DCEU. Do we need a DCEU? I mean, even the MCU right now, I feel like, is kind of flagging. I feel like maybe the age of the cinematic universe is just come to an end and there's not really that much point in trying to salvage yeah. what they have at this point, you know? The ba- the like even I feel like the MCU... Yeah. Sorry, yeah, the Batman was good. The Joker's amazing. They work on their own. If they, I, I feel personally a lot of it comes from people like Collider or Screen Junkies or Comic Book Movie News or Screen Rant, places like that, who when they get the opportunity to sit opposite Todd Phillips or Matt Reeves, go, well, would you like to cross over with the Joker? And then that just gets those attractions online and then the studios see that and they go, well, a lot of people talk about it online, so let's do it in a movie. And then that just fucks up everything that's going on. Do you know what I mean? I feel like they very reactionary to what's going up online. Whereas if, like, I remember Whacking Phoenix being asked about crossing over with Robert Pattinson's Batman and he just said, I, look, I love that you're passionate about this and that you love it but that is not interesting to me at all. And I'm sorry to disappoint you with that answer, but it's not something that I'm at all interested in. I'm glad he said that, and I'm glad he's transparent with that, because, you know, right now, I feel with you, is, I'm look, I think it's going to looking really cool. It's looking to be a musical starring Todd Phillips and Lady Gaga as Harley Quinn. They've do you mean, pretty much... Do you mean- Directed by Todd Phillips, starring Whacking Phoenix. Sorry, that's what I meant. Yeah, yeah. starring Whacking Phoenix, starring Lady Gaga as Harley Quinn. You know, if Joker was part of an extended universe, they wouldn't be able to make that kind of stylistic choice. They wouldn't be able to cast Lady Gaga because Harley Quinn is technically the DC universe Harley. Not being part of a cinematic universe opens up so many opportunities for that film that it just is so backwards to try and put it funnel it into a cinematic universe i mean that's how i feel about marvel i feel like i feel like you know marvel i will admit i'm not the biggest fan of the mcu but those first three phases you know iron man to Endgame was like a lightning in the bottle miracle that they managed to build this universe of different characters that all managed to come together in a harmonious way and have this emotionally satisfying and cathartic conclusion. But now they've done that, their whole expanded universe model just doesn't feel like it benefits any of the films or stories they're telling now. Yeah. You know, it all feels just very arbitrary and almost like... E- each film has to fit this cookie-cutter formula. Why would you want to limit DC and its characters in the same way when you have such a diverse range of characters to tell such a diverse range of stories? Why would you want to limit it all to one universe? I think we have to wait and see. Especially looking at how they're... Gone. Just especially considering how kind of shaky their initial attempt at a universe came out yeah i feel like we just have to wait and see what's going to happen with shazam and black adam um one rumor that i heard was that henry cavill was meant to make an appearance at san diego comic-con during the black adam um panel um so that was what i had heard and that obviously that didn't happen um and then from there i heard that from production runners on The Witcher, which is filming in London, they had all scheduled days out, about three days out of the middle of production, because Cavill was unavailable. And those three days lined up with San Diego Comic-Con. But apparently the reason he didn't make it was because he had COVID, and then the production company announced that Cavill did have COVID, and that's why filming had stopped. But it seems a bit of a coincidence... So. So I feel like the Witcher production company are covering up the fact that he was meant to go with the subsequent coincidence that he also just had COVID at the same time, which meant he wouldn't have been able to film the Witcher anyway because he had COVID or was going to be in San Diego. But the reason he wasn't in San Diego was because he had COVID. 
Right. Okay. If that, make, if that makes sense. So you think there's still, you think there's still an outside chance that he is in either Black Adam or Shazam Two. Yeah, I think he's more likely to be in Black Adam. I know The Rock has been a big champion of Black Adam fighting Superman, and uh, he was at, he was asked at Comic Con. He said, "Someone asked him who would win in a fight, Shazam, uh, Black Adam or Superman," and the audience was like, yeah. and then The Rock said, "It all depends on who's playing Superman." Um, so it's, it, I, I am a DC fan, and I like a lot of their movies. A lot of them are dog shit. Uh, Suicide Squad, Batman vs Superman, uh, the original Justice League, and to some extent the Snyder Cut as well isn't perfect, but it's a damn sight lot better. Um, so yeah, it, it's a shame as a DC fan to sort of see it going tits up a little bit, but yeah, we'll see how it goes. Would you? How would you feel if they just like wiped it clean and just started again? I'd be disappointed because it's been burnt too many times. I'd be disappointed because. It's easy to write it. Do you know what I mean? Even though it is broken in half, you can fix it, and it would take maybe one or two movies to fix it. And I could probably, I think, if I could fix it, then why the hell can't they? I don't know if you feel like that as an actor, where maybe you sometimes see a performance which is so bad on a mainstream scale, and you think I could have done that. Why haven't they done that? And I think that with DC, I think if you if you put me in a room for two days and told me what was coming out. I could fix the DCU. <laughs> okay, Tim. Give me it. What's your plan? What's Tim fixes the um, well, what, DCU? What, well, or is this a different... <laughs> uh, what's coming out? So you got Black Adam and Shazam coming out. It all depends. Let's say Shazam does fight Superman. I would... Okay, so I would probably... Halt... I would stop Blue Beetle. Because we don't need that. Even though I said they shouldn't be stopping productions, they should stop Blue Beetle. Nobody needs that. And I would find out what movies are coming up. I wouldn't touch the Batman or the Joker 2. I would let them go on doing whatever. I would instantly get Henry Cavill to do a Superman movie. Um, would I that would you cancel the J.J. Abrams movie then? No, I would keep that going. So the, the two of them are running parallel. Um, I pr- it also probably depends on what's going on with that Abrams movie. If there is a mention, does that take place? I don't think that takes place in the DCEU anyway, so that can go on. It doesn't seem to, no. So that can go on as it is. Um, I would find out if James Gunn wants to return to do some... I feel like Peacemaker was such a good show. I never saw it, but... It They're was doing very, season two, aren't yeah, they? so well received. you got to do something with Peacemaker. Um, Aquaman, no one really cares about Aquaman, I don't think. Um, Aquaman 2's still coming out, isn't it? It is, it is. I get Wonder Woman 3 going. Do you know what I mean? I just feel there's a lot of stuff that's kind of just sat there waiting and nothing's really happening with it. Yeah. Yeah. It's weird. I don't know, it's... It's just weird. Yeah. I don't know. It's also hard to say what I do when I don't actually know what's coming out in the next couple of weeks. That's true, yeah. I mean, what films are coming out this summer? Have the summer blockbusters already come out? Pretty much so, yeah. There's Black Adam and Shazam are coming. Um, is there any Marvel stuff? Wakanda oh. Forever still coming, isn't it? That's later this year. I feel like. But I mean, I mean, I mean, this summer. I mean, like this August of all the big summer movies come um, out. I think so. Yeah, I'd say so. There's a couple of TV shows. What coming were out. they? Uh, <laughs> what were they? Like Bullet Train? Is Bullet Train one of them? Not really. That wasn't really a summer blockbuster. Bullet Train's not... I kind of don't uh, think summer blockbusters... Like I don't really think summer blockbusters exist anymore, do they, really? Do they not? I haven't really been... What have I been to the cinema to see recently? I saw Bullet Train. I saw Elvis. Yeah, Elvis. I saw Elvis. I feel like those were it, really. I feel like it's more. Top Gun seemed to be really big, but that yeah. wasn't a summer movie, really. No, I do feel like the summer movie is now. It's now changed thanks to Star Wars down to Christmas movies. Anyway, Harry, we've been talking for far too long. Have we? It's we've uh, had fun. Yeah, we've been talking for coming up to almost an hour. Wow. Wow. Oh, you don't think anyone? Wow. And what you don't think anyone would bother to keep listening to us after that long? I'm boring myself. Also, if anyone's oh, interested, I'm go, on, go on Instagram and search for Tim Does Films and show some support for a little short film that me and Harry made. 
called Jarvis. It's yeah. not about Iron Man. No, it's about uh, a Jarvis Cocker from Pulp, who I have a weird resemblance to. <laughs> How did you think that turned out? I think it turned out pretty good. I think, you know, obviously we were limited by the fact it was uh, an iPhone project, but I think as kind of a proof of concept, it shows you can make a f- you could make a fun little project about like on a larger scale about pulp. I think I think I think I'd like to say that I could play Jarvis Cocker properly. Yeah. I think I mean, it proves that there's something there. You don't look like Jarvis Cocker did at that age because I did google it before and he had long straight uh, when he was hair. a student. Yeah. You look yeah, like you I, was look, like, I could wear my hair out. You look like what people imagine Jarvis Cocker to look like. You think what did what do you think you mean by that? Like well when I saw the music video to common people, you look like he does in that. And by putting you in a slight suit and glasses in a bag, you therefore look like Jarvis Cocker at college. Yeah, yeah, I guess so. It's, it's like, like the way that like, you know If you put the tenth hmm? doctor if you put the tenth if you if you got the 10th Doctor and put an ice cream cone in his hand and a funny hat, he'd look like the 10th Doctor as an ice cream man. Do you know what I mean? But that's probably not what he would actually wear or look like. Yeah. So I, I, I could look like the cinematic idea of the person rather than having actual resemblance to them. Yeah. Okay, I'll take that. I'll take that, though. <laughs> Harry, do you want to see us out? Yeah. We're on Instagram, we're on Twitter, I don't know how much those are used. We're on YouTube, nothing's been uploaded to the YouTube channel for over a month. Maybe there'll be a clip from here that's uploaded. Will that, Tim? I imagine the next thing that's going to go on the YouTube channel will be us talking about the centenary in some regards. Okay. Fair. So don't expect anything on YouTube. So really, we're Spotify and iTunes. Yeah, and iTunes, we're still on iTunes, aren't we? Apparently so, I didn't know, but we are. Yeah, so Spotify and iTunes, if you want to listen to us, that's where we are. I mean, if you're listening to this, you're already listening on either Spotify or iTunes. So, thank you for finding us. Leave us a five-star review and follow the podcast. And don't forget to share it with your friends. Harry, what do you want to recommend this week? Oh, recommendations. Um, I'm going to recommend a podcast called The Wittering Whitehalls which is Jack Whitehall's mum and dad. They've got their own podcast. It's basically like an agony aunt sort of podcast, but it's really well done. The production value on it's great. They are very funny, and it's not just like, my boyfriend, he's seeing someone else, I can't get over him. It's like people in their 50s like messaging in like little questions to get advice on people in their, from their, in their 60s and 80s. And it's just quite nice to listen to. They're only about half an hour. I put them on in the car, and they, they're, they're good to listen to. They're good fun. How do you feel if we did Anakin the Art stuff? Uh, I feel you would take it much more seriously than I than I would. That's fine. I remember. I remember. Um, I think it was on Capital Radio before it was called Capital Radio. Back this is like when I was like a kid, like ten or something. There were these two radio DJs who had a segment called like He Says She Says, where one of them was a woman, one of them was a guy. And they basically um, did an agony aunt bit, whereas like someone gives an agony aunt thing, and then like the the guy gives his thoughts, and the woman gives her thoughts, and it's like ooh, it's different gender perspectives on relationship stuff, and you know usually the guy did not take it as seriously, so I think you know I, me giving. I'd like to say sound advice versus you giving funny goofs. I think that could work. Yeah. I think we could be a, a decently comedic agony aunt pairing. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not saying Bigger on the Inside should become an agony aunt show, unless. Maybe that's a different type of podcast we could uh, look at. Actually buy a magazine every week and go through it and try and answer the people's questions, isn't it? As in we, 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 bu- we steal other people's agony aunt questions rather than have people send stuff to us. Yeah, over time, of course, but you've got to start somewhere. Yeah. That'd be fun. Although that's a lot of responsibility. That's true. That's true. Because imagine if someone actually listened to me and did what I advised. I'd preface everything I say with, you don't need to do this, but because I would just have so much worrying anxiety over the weight of dictating someone else's life. 
<laughs> anyway, my recommendation this week is um, supporting local theatre companies and theatre venues. Uh, over the past week, I've seen that, a couple that's shows. Basically, saying please give me your money as as a, as a theatre. No, not me. <laughs> Not me personally. I'm not. I've not got anything upcoming in the theatre yet. Um, but actually, I've seen two friends of mine who I work with have both done shows um, in different venues, with different companies, um, kind of ranging from like semi-professional to community to professional to kind of community theatre type stuff. And it's all been, it's all been really. Oh my, my my headphones have come out. And they're back in. Um, but it was just like really nice to see that. And it's, it was just like a nice way to spend an evening. And it, you know, it gives you, I feel like especially, you know, there's loads of great stuff on streaming and online and everything. But it's so easy to distract yourself or not be fully invested. Like earlier today, my housemate was watching Umbrella Academy. And... I was like casually watching along and I, I kept getting distracted by my phone or getting food or whatever. Whereas when you're at the theatre, you can't do that. You just have to, you know, sit there and take it in. And it's nice. It's a refreshing experience, you know. It's kind of an experience that unless you're at, say, a cinema, you don't really get when consuming content or media or anything anymore. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good episode there, Harry. Yeah, that's Thanks. one in the can. Say goodbye to everybody. Bye-bye. Bye, everyone. Oh, no. Take it away, Matt. Oh. What's wrong? Please you did press record, didn't you, Tim? Please, please tell me I pressed record. Oh, yeah, it is. <laughs> there we go.